can't help but ponder the words of Jesse. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he interrupted this church service today and came and took us home? He came once. He's coming again. He's coming again. I don't think anybody here would feel at loss if he interrupted this church service this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed by your presence here with us. This is your house. And now is your time. You have something to say. May my words be your words. We spent time together. We prepared. But I empty me of self that I can be a vessel for you. Draw close to us, impress upon us your thoughts, your love, and your grace. Be with us now, Father. In your loving Son's name I pray, amen. You like stories? Ah, I love stories. I love stories. I love it when the grandkids come to the house because uh, Becky says, it's time for story. This morning I want to share with you a story that is found in Mark 4. You may all be familiar with it. It's a story here about a storm. I believe each one of you probably have experienced your own storms. But as we go through the story this morning, put yourself in the place of, well, either disciples or Jesus. Where do you fit in? Verse 35, that evening, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the east side. So they left the crowd and his disciples started across the lake with him, him in the boat. Some of their boats followed. Suddenly, ooh, music change. Suddenly a windstorm struck the lake. Waves started splashing the boat. And it was about to sink. Jesus was in back of the boat with his head on a pillow. And he was asleep. His disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? That was Peter, by the way. <laughs> they were in panic mode. Jesus got up, ordered the wind and the waves to be quiet. The wind stopped, and everything was calm. Jesus asked the disciples, why were you afraid? Don't you have any faith? 
Now they were more afraid than ever and said to each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Which ones do you relate to? Disciples or Jesus? Eh, I got to own up. The majority of crises that seem to come into my life, I might be like Peter. Knee-jerk reaction. Maybe I panic. Don't give a lot of thought to it. Make the responsibility fall solely on me when in reality, Jesus is in the boat. Was Jesus panicking? No. He was sleeping. He was under control. Now you all know about my dog Kitzel, my German Shepherd, our trying dog, dysfunctional dog. <laughs> but we love her. She spent some time with the trainer here a few weeks ago, and we're trying to help her with a new command that's important for her because, see, she still likes to take control of our home. So when someone comes to our door and knocks or rings the doorbell or someone walks into the room, she has a tendency to start barking, which isn't just a little bark. It's a good-sized bark. But we are asked to say, Kitzel, it's okay. I've got this. It's okay. And you know what? <laughs> it's working. Knock, knock, knock. Kitzel, it's okay. It's okay. Go lay down. I got this. You think that's what Jesus was doing in the boat? Peter, Andrew. It's okay. I got this. Lighten up. Because, see, we have a tendency to forget who's in the boat. But why was Jesus so calm? There was something about Jesus for him to be so calm, even in the waves that rocked the boat and the water that was splashing. Something that Jesus did that made him so calm. And I can't help but feel that, boy, when I read the scriptures, I see pictures of Christ when he would rise early into the morning and go up in the hill, and he would be in communion with his Father. And maybe he would read the texts that were before him, found in Psalms, how precious is your unfailing love, O God. Psalm 86, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Jesus held on to those. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Oh, Father, I am so glad that you're my dad. 
the moments that he must have spent with his father to reassure him that even he was not alone in the boat. We have that same opportunity in our lives to find a mountaintop maybe early noon or night to come before him in Romans 8, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, neither height nor death, none of this, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing is going to separate us. That's what I need to hold on to every day. Not just for a brief moment in the morning, but every day. Those words, Jesse, that you had us sing, if we could just have those words permeate through our minds throughout the day. What powerful messages they were. Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We can have that same calming spirit that Jesus had when he was in the boat just by turning to this resource right here. But not just reading it, but applying it into our lives so that we can experience it, that we can make him real. If he said so, then God prove it. This is our resource that will get us through the storms. Do you agree? Seeing through the eyes of God. Oh, that is so important. Because I know for myself how I view it normally is wrong. And so in this series, Through the Eyes of God, we look at hardship. A condition that is difficult to endure, suffering, deprivation, oppression, a life of hardship. I couldn't help but ask myself, did Jesus ever have hardship? Yeah. But what did he do? What did he do that got him through the moments of the hard times? That's important for me to understand because what happens normally with me, a dark cloud seems to loom over me on my path that I am taking. And before I realize it, the black cloud seem to cover the resource that I need to turn to. And because of that black cloud, I no longer have the perspective of God. I have the perspective of me. Bad choice. Because I can't do nothing. I can't do nothing at all. 
I may try and I will fail. If I do not come to the point of realizing that Jesus is in the boat and I sit there and try to bail the water out myself or swim to the shore or do whatever it may be when really just a few feet away from me is the answer. But with that black cloud that seems to hover over my head, and I'm sure you can relate to it, I've experienced it. It takes over my spiritual being. It takes over me to see 2020 spiritually, and I look within myself, and I begin to even question. I don't know about you. Have you questioned God? Have you even shaken your fist at him and say, why? Why did you do that? Why did you take this child? Why? Why? There are two things that I've discovered in my many years of walking with him. Two things that I know that Jesus has that I know for myself are truly beneficial. And that is the correct perspective of life and an attitude. See, Jesus had the correct perspective. He knew exactly who was in control. His father's in control. And he had an attitude of trust and faith and belief that whatever his father says, does, or do, I won't question it. He's in control. It's an attitude of surrender. It's an attitude of putting him first. But you know what? I get in the way. I don't know about you, but I get in the way of that at times. And sometimes the perspective, if we could just change our perspective. When my son was a teacher here, he would call me up and say, Dad, I got some issues here I want to run by you. I'm just confused here as a teacher of doing this and this and this. And as I talked to him, I realized that my son's perspective was pretty much diffused because the issue at hand was too close to him. And this is all he could see. I said, son, I see your problem. You're looking at this problem through your eyes. Son, step far enough back and you tell me how does God view this issue at hand? Not you, how does God view this issue at hand? And every single time, Josh took the focus off of him and he tried to look through God's eyes and, oh, okay. Now I'm beginning to see it. It's that moment of changing our perspective. It is so crucial because in all actuality, mm, these two factors we deal with every day. So this morning I want to share with you about an event that happened to me. A lot of you are familiar with it, I'm sure. But I want to address it a little differently this morning. Because this event changed my perspective. This event changed my attitude. This event changed 
my relationship with God. But in order to do that, <laughs> since life is like a puzzle, I need to lay out a few pieces to kind of help us see the pieces prior to this event. Okay, is that all right? June 27th, 1976. Becky said, I do. Can you believe that? She looked at me and said, I do. God was there. God was there. Two years later, Becky and I were in the doctor's office. Doctor says, Fred, sorry to inform you, but you have multiple sclerosis. There's going to be a change in your life. God was there. Now you can only imagine with MS, <laughs> the brain signals don't get to where they need to be. And since I wear contacts, I wasn't able to get the finger to the eye. So Becky says, okay, we're going to go to the eye doctor so we'll get glasses. That's just a little setback. That's no problem. Go to the doctor. He does the exams. Comes up to us and say, Fred, sorry to inform you, but you have a disease called keratoconus in your eyes. Your cornea is ballooning. You really only have two options, Fred. You're going to go blind or get a cornea transplant. Didn't take me long to think that one out. But you know what? God was there. Of course, when you do one eye, <laughs> you got the other one. There's a whole sermon on this first eye. Second eye was done in Seattle. And oh, what a blessing that one was. And God was there. Due to the MS and other problems that it created, because see, I was out of commission in the hospital for three years, in and out, cortisone. Never drove for three and a half or four. But at one point in our lives, we wanted another child. We were blessed with Josh, the little boy. I want another little boy, a little girl, someone here to be with him. But we only had the option to look at adopting, which almost seemed to take forever. One day, a little boy by the name of Charlie, two years old, came into our lives. 
Only by power of attorney, though. And God was there. Month later, mom came back from California. Wanted her son back. And we had to let him go. But God was there. Maybe two months down the road, I get a phone call at work on a Friday. Fred, <laughs> come to the judge's changer, chambers at the court. The mother has said, yes, it's time to adopt your boy. God was there. there but the moment I want to talk about is this one April 2004 I asked Dorothy Anderson if she would go with me to see my mom in Grandview Dorothy was being a nurse she could do evaluation on my mom's health I felt there was something uh, wrong, and I needed someone's opinion. And so in our ride down to Grandview, Dorothy and I talked. Of course, she asked me how was life and my job going. I said, Dorothy, <laughs> I've been out here at Hanford for 30 years. I expect to retire out here, really. But right now, I don't like my job. Times have changed. The, the company, the, the people who were running the company were Lockheed, Lockheed back in Washington. We had no ties with them at all. Things had changed, and I just really wasn't enjoying my job. Well, Fred, why don't you quit? <laughs> it's easy for you to say, Dorothy. I like the money. And Hanford was very gracious with money. So there I was. There was my dilemma. Be careful, folks, when you say things out loud because there's always someone who's listening. I don't even think maybe it was a month down the road that I got a phone call from my boss to come to her office close to about 1 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Sure. Show up at her boss. We greeted. She asked me to sit down. But for some reason, it wasn't smiles and laughter. She was pretty somber. She said, Fred, due to the finances and the budget here, we're going to have to let you go. Not what I did. <sighs> because it felt like that moment that I got hit in the stomach. 
But what I'm about to tell you, please do not look at this at me. Look at what took place from God with me, okay? Because something happened. I reached into my pocket and I grabbed the rock that I ran with for years. The rock that represents Jesus of Psalms 18. You are my rock. You are my Savior. You are everything to me. And in my mind, I said, Lord, (laughs) here we go again. Here we go again, but man, there came a calmness over me. A calmness of almost like Jesus in that boat because when I looked up at my boss, she was in tears. And she's saying, I'm so so sorry. So sorry. And And I walk up to her and I held her. I consoled her, and I said, don't worry. Don't worry. God has a plan for me. I know it right now. God has a plan for me. Don't worry. Don't be sad for me. She couldn't understand that. She wiped her tears. She felt bad. said, don't worry. Don't worry. God's with me. God's got a plan. I exited her office, walked down the hall, and there was the boss that I had at the very beginning for almost 30 years, and he walked down. He said, Fred, how's it going? (laughs) Dennis, I just got laid off. (sighs) Dennis lost it. Fred, I am so sorry. And he comes up and I embrace him. Don't worry. Don't worry. God's in control. He's got a plan for me. God will take care of me. He always has and he always will. It was almost for the first time in my life I came to the realization that it was true. If I could only have stepped away from this and watched it from third person, I would just sit there and go, wow. Because, folks, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. We hugged, we talked. And another thing, another thing when I was in my boss's office, man, God was really there. Because the boss said to me, tell you what, Fred, because, see, when they lay you off at Hanford, Security walks you to your car. You don't have a chance to go back to your office, nor does anybody else get an explanation of what happened. And boy, do they speculate. That's what came to my mind. Uh Uh-oh. What are they going to think? But my boss says, Fred, would you be willing, because you're the second person in Lockheed who ever has been asked this, would you be willing to stay on two weeks to help train the person who's going to take your job? I know, that doesn't make sense, does it? Well, if she's going to do it, sure. 
sure, I'll stay on. Because I got something to say about my God. I'll be more than happy to stay on for two weeks. Okay, Fred, I know it's going to be difficult or it's going to be terrible. No. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because God was in the room. I go back to my office. It's getting close to closing time there at 4 o'clock. People walk up and say, hey, Fred, how you doing? What's the first thing people say? How you doing? <sighs> Sorry. I just got laid off. <sighs> Everybody responds as how they would. <sighs> I consoled more people that Friday afternoon. I lost count. Why do I tell you this? It's not about me. It's about a God that took over me, worked through me, Shared with these people who need to hear about an awesome God that I'm sitting there just completely. I felt like I'm walking on the air at the end of the day. And I just got laid off after 30 years. But man, I was as high as a kite. This is great. This is great because mm, I believed him. I believed him when he was here and here and here and here. But now when it came time to being here, something happened to me that I couldn't explain. Why? Because I had no control over it. And I knew very well, this isn't Fred talking. Mm-mm. This isn't Fred talking at all. That's the kind of God that we have. When we look at hardships, it doesn't have to be something that is lengthy or time-consuming. It could be dealt with with the perspective and the attitude right there at that moment. I could have had a self pity party in my boss's office and cried with her and asked for Medi to come and take me away and prolong this whole event and suck it for whatever it's worth. Because see, sinners do that. But the Lord didn't let me do that. He said, Fred, I, I got a better plan we're going to take plan B here today and let you experience this firsthand that you're going to be my voice. You're going to be my feet. You're going to be my hands and you're going to be my arms as I embrace my children today before you leave work and tell them how awesome I am. And you know what? He still is. That changed my life. That put me in this church. That was my 50th birthday present. And now all of a sudden I find myself here in this church with no job, 
But guess what? God still has a plan. I don't have enough cones to fill the platform. But guess what? Eric Shadle's coming. A new pastor selling his medical profession. Being called here to Tri-Cities at this church. And here I am to welcome here because you know what? I don't have a job. And he says, nice meeting you, friend. Would you be able to visit with me that we can meet some of the church family? Sure! I know the church family. We got a wonderful family. I don't know about your thoughts, but I'll tell you, Eric helped change my life as well. Not to say that Jesus is still in the boat, but Eric get me, helped me get out of the boat. <laughs> in fact, I am no longer in the box. And I thank the Lord for it. Because you can't put God in the box. You can't put Jesus in the box. You can't even put a church in a box. But it tries. It tries. But one thing about this church here, it allows us the freedom to get out of the box and become who God asked us to be. To stand before you and scream and yell and even cry knowing that you accept me. Eric was allowing me to experience things. I'm, I'm spitting like crazy up here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> there should be fountains of blessings. Let's <laughs> see, I love you enough to be able to share that. that. Normally, I wouldn't do that. It's God who's doing that. But he made this not, he, he, he led us to believe that this could be a safe church. It could be a genuine church, a place that we can come as we are with addictions, with problems, because guess what? This is not just a country club for saints. It's a waiting room for sinners. And that's what God wants us to be. Come as you are. Your addictions, your problems, whatever it may be. Come to my house. Come to my house because I have children here who will greet you in the parking lot, in the foyer, in the rooms, wherever you may be. You will be welcome because you are part of my family. I'll tell you, church, you don't see this kind of church out there. We're the oddballs. And I'm glad to be an oddball. I meet with the conference and hear their stories and I go, oh my. Churches are dying. You, you come to my church. You come and look at my church because this isn't my church. This is God's church. And he allows me to be a part of it. I am blessed. Why do I tell you all of this? Well, because once you start to experience it yourself, text, 
start making more sense as well. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God more than that. We rejoice in our sufferings. Because see, we're starting to change the perspective. I want to see through God's eyes. I call it suffering. He calls it a blessing. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and the hope does not put us to shame. Nope, not to shame at all. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He has given us a freedom to be who we are here. These last 14 years, I have felt that I have had more freedom than the rest of my life. To be able to worship a loving, caring God and not be criticized, condemned, or ridiculed. Quickly, I want to, well... This last week, I had to study with a couple going through the purpose-driven life. And you know, there's some things that we do need to realize that we are here for a purpose. Each one of us is a puzzle to the bigger picture. Got that one? You like puzzles? This happy family back here, they love puzzles, I know too. Share with that puzzle with the rest of them, okay? Puzzles! The thought that we concluded in our study with is what is God asking of you to be the best puzzle you can be? That's all. Not accountable to man, not accountable to a system, not accountable to anybody else except through God. Be the best that you can because when all of God's pieces of the puzzle come together, we see a glorious Loving Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. And He does it through each one of you being the pieces to this puzzle. That's the purpose that we have. There is a purpose. I want to leave you this morning with four quick statements from four men that I, well, I enjoy reading. Rick Warren, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. Okay, did you comprehend that? The purpose of your life is greater than your own personal fulfillment. Your peace of mind or even your happiness. See, your purpose is not about me. It's not about the individual. It's about God.
It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. He is the resource. He is the one who holds the answers to the questions that we have. And He is willing to give them to us every single time. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Oh, I love Morris Vinden. A crisis doesn't change us or our direction. It merely reveals to us where we were headed before it came along. It is interesting to notice that even temptation is a crisis. Every time the enemy hits us with temptation, it is a mini-crisis or sometimes a maxi-crisis, just depending on our perspective. But a crisis, nonetheless, every temptation that comes to us reveals to us by its results our direction at the time the temptation came. Either we're close to God or we're away from Him. If trial comes and we shake our fist at God and charge Him with dealing harshly with us, this reveals to us that we must have been walking some distance from Him. We've got to be honest with ourselves, folks. We do not know our own hearts. Some people who have thought that they could weather the storms of a thousand seas were drowned in a bathtub. So because of his love, because of his love, God allows trials and temptations to come that we may see things as they really are. That's love. Max Lucado, the only ultimate disaster that can befall us, I have come to realize, is to feel ourselves to be home on earth. As long as we are aliens, we cannot forget our true homeland. Folks, our citizenship is not here on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. The choices that we make, the things that we think about should be kingdom choices. Choices that take us to the kingdom and not to pacify and please and make people happy here on this earth. Unhappiness on earth cultivates a hunger for heaven. I, I agree to that. When you get unhappy, you're longing for something better. You go to the scriptures and I'll guarantee you'll find it. By gracing us with a deep dissatisfaction, God holds our attention. The only tragedy, the only tragedy then is to be satisfied with premature, with premature, maturely, to settle for earth, to be content in a strange land, to intermarry with the Babylonians and forget Jerusalem. If we take our eyes off of God, the enemy is more than willing 
to show you something that will take you away. And the last individual is Paul himself. For this reason, we never become discouraged. Even though our physical being is gradually decaying, I'm beginning to, to experience that. Yet our spiritual being is renewed day after day. <laughs> and I'm loving that. This small and temporary trouble that we suffer will bring us a tremendous and external glory much greater than the trouble. For if we fix our attention, if we fix our attention, not on the things that are seen, but on things that are unseen, what can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen ah, lasts forever. Can you see God? I can see the acts of God. I can see his presence in the life of my family here. But I'm longing. I'm longing to see God. Four things I leave you this morning in my own life of what I have discovered. Jesus is greater than any storm than you will ever face. Your attitude can make a problem harder or deal with it. Or easier, the choice is up to you. You know, God has given this gift of freedom of choice that we have difficulties with, but it's still a gift. And he doesn't take that away from us. The best way to change your mood is to change your perspective. I'll highlight that one, folks. How true that is. You get in a bad mood, change your perspective. Look at it differently. And last, trust requires that we may always have some unanswered prayers. Oh, answers. Thank you, love. See, she's a little voice in my ear. Because if I had all the answers, then I wouldn't have to trust God in what he's doing, right? God doesn't owe us any explanation every time he doesn't every time he does something that we don't understand yet. I like that. He doesn't owe me an explanation. Because he put the word yet on it. There will be a time that I'll be able to be in heaven that I will be able to understand his actions and his doings. But for now, I may not. But for now, I say, Lord, because of all of this, I trust you. I trust who you are. I believe in what you are doing. I believe that it is best for me, even though I can't see it to be the case. I trust you. May you walk away this morning with a desire of a closer relationship with God that you too can trust Him in all aspects of life with the crisis and the turmoil and the hardships that may befall upon you. They don't have to be permanent. They don't have to stay because Jesus 
is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat.